Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. It's an age-old story, the, the story of Job. But there are so many nuggets, so many treasures here. And I just ask the Lord to help us again this morning as we visit this story. The book of Job chapter 23 and verses number 1 through 3. The Bible says, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. What a very transparent glimpse into the heart and the mind of a man who is going through more than we could dare comprehend. But he said, today my, my complaint is bitter and my stroke or my arm is heavier than my groaning. I can't even move my arm. Oh, that I just know, if I could know where to find the Lord, I, I would just like to come and sit down and talk to him. Amen. Now, whether you want to run the aisles about this or not, we got to confess we've all been right there. If I could just sit down and talk to the Lord and just try to make some sense of all the nonsense. I want to speak, if the Lord will help me today, from this subject, where to find God. Where to find God. Amen. And you may be seated. I appreciate the good spirit of the Lord that has been here today and Believe him to journey with us now through the word. I started reading today in the 23rd chapter of Job. But by the time, really in all honesty, we get to the 23rd chapter of Job, we are really deep into the narrative of a man's life and trial. We have read other scriptures that portray Job just wanting to talk to the Lord in chapter 13 and verse number three, Job says, surely I would speak to the Almighty and desire to reason with him. That was not disrespect on Job's part. I don't think that we should ever read these passages of scripture and get some mental image of Job pounding his fist on the table, demanding an appointment with God. It was, it was just the whispering heart of a man that said, I just desire to reason with God. Not disrespect, but desire. While I think many, if not most of us, have read the story of Job, certainly few, if any of us, have lived through the repeated devastating losses that he experienced. I understand and not to take away anything from anyone that has experienced any measure of loss that's in this house or those joining us online, I would just say with great deference to all of those, no one 
has experienced things quite like Job, certainly not in the quick succession that Job had all of this loss. Those moments, I believe that he felt at times, sometimes I try to read the, the book of Job and, and um, just place myself. I want to read it slow and methodical. I want to try to place myself in his shoes, in his skin, so to speak. I mean, those moments that Job uh, experienced where he said, I just want to talk to the Lord. If I could just talk to him. I think that's completely reasonable. In verse number three of our text today, Job puts into words what many of us have thought, oh, that I just knew where I might find him. If I could just discover him, if I could sit down with him. This was another appeal to just meet with God. Well, I think Job was saying in a, in a unique way is I just want to have a fair trial. I just want to be able to talk to the Lord about all this. Again, I don't believe that this was a man being irreverent, but it was a man that was just speaking the sentiments of his heart. It's us listening in with a spiritual, uh, with a, with a spiritual insight to the, take a peek to the very heartbeat of a man that has been plundered beyond reason. Job was prepared to state his case and present his arguments and then, of course, let God give the verdict, but he just wanted his side of the story to be shared. I believe that Job was confident that, that despite God's great power as a lawgiver, that somehow, somehow he could win his case or his cause simply because he was an upright man. And Job, we're introduced to to Job as that, a man that was upright, a man that loved God and eschewed evil. And so the question then that, that comes to, to bear is how does mortal man go about finding an immortal God? Job was very transparent in his search for God. In chapter 23, verses eight and nine, Job said this, behold, I go forward but he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Of course, we know that God was not hiding himself from Job in a literal way, but how could Job not draw this conclusion? I am searching for him and I can't find him. In Psalms 139, David reminds us that God is everywhere present. And so we know that God was not hiding behind something to, uh, to, to veil himself from the needs of Job, but this is how it felt to him. He desired a personal meeting with God, so we gotta hand it to him that he was pursuing God, seeking God. He said, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And I go backward, but he's not there. I'm searching, but I cannot find him. I believe that Job had questions to ask and he had claims or positions to present. No, we have been taught either directly or indirectly not to question God. When we study the life of Job, we notice that God is not insulted, nor do I see that God is angered by the pursuit that Job had toward him. And therefore, I would never stand before you today and tell you not to question God because in all honesty, I think it's humanly impossible not to. Can I get an amen? 
I've heard so many people through the years probably have guilty myself so I'm not throwing rocks. We make ourselves feel better about questioning God by prefacing it with this. I know we're not supposed to question. But I got a question (laughs) or two or three. We make ourselves feel better. We ease our conscience by that little runway of I know we're not supposed to but but I believe that, that Job was on point. If I could just sit down and talk with him somehow. I believe the key to those questions, of course, is guarding our spirit in those seasons. Because the Bible talks about Job not sinning with his lips or charging God foolishly. And so I believe, of course, God knows our heart and he knows, the, he knows the genesis of those questions. And so he sees the purity. And, and so even though Job was, was wanting to sit down and have a talk with the Lord, the Lord could see that his heart was pure and that he did not charge God foolishly or sin with his lips. So it seems that Job had questions, but he kept his heart right with God. And in truth, we've all been right there. We've had those questions. And many times we've kept our heart right with God. I believe that there are legitimate questions that life can pose. I mean, sometimes we just got to be honest. Life doesn't make sense. This is not what we signed up for. This is not what I thought was going to happen. I did not perceive this at all. Amen. And so at the outset, I believe that we must first establish some baseline rules for our heart. And that is this, is that regardless of how things look, we are never truly abandoned. And so I just got to set that as a cornerstone. And no matter how, how quiet heaven may, need, may seem to me today, and we may feel like Job, we can't find him in front of us, behind him, on either side of us, but I've, I've got this baseline established that I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And so no matter how it feels, and I know this has already been alluded to in our first service, I took many of those comments as affirmation for this message this morning, that no matter how it feels, I know that God has not abandoned me. He has not forsaken me. He is right here with me. Most certainly, there may be times that we cannot feel him. You may not want to get up and run around right now, but I believe we could raise our hands and say, there have been times that I couldn't feel the Lord. There have been times I've been in a service and I've heard people in that service say, doesn't it, doesn't it feel good? Amen, can't you just feel the sweet presence of God? I've been raised in church around this my whole life and I, I know what it's like to see people responding to the presence of God. But I was standing there in a void or standing there in a vacuum and while I could sense that they were truly feeling something, I couldn't feel a thing. Amen, but in that moment, I've got to realize one thing, that I may feel alone, but I am not alone. I may feel forsaken, but I am not forsaken. Amen. I have got to put my hand and my trust in God's hand and in his word. Amen. There are times that we will not feel him or cannot hear him. And maybe like Job that we cannot even find him. But I got to remember some things. He's always there. And God is aware of our struggles. An old song says he knows all about my struggles. He really cares and understands Amen, I gotta realize that God cares about what I'm going through, what you're going through in trying times. In trying times, we have to tether our soul to the words of Hebrews 13 and five. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I gotta go ahead and do that today. 
before the wind starts blowing. I gotta go ahead and do that today before the clouds start lowering. You know, being a Floridian and and being susceptible and in the path often as we were just a few weeks ago to hurricanes. It's a very strange thing to me. I've never gotten over this, certainly as an adult, was probably oblivious to it as a child, but never gotten over it as an adult when there is an impending storm and, uh, and, and the sun is shining. And the forecasters are saying it's coming. And you need to gather up everything that's loose. And you know, you got so many other things going on in your life and there's so many other things tugging at your schedule and pulling at your schedule. You're looking out there at those yard ornaments and you're thinking, you know, it's probably gonna be all right. I mean, look how blue the sky is. Look at those beautiful clouds. But somebody on the other end is saying, but it's coming. It is, it's coming. You need to go ahead. You don't need to wait. You don't need to wait until hours out. You don't need to wait until the clouds are gathering. I know it's a little easier to be motivated then but you got to do this now and so what I'm trying to say this morning is this, that I just got to go ahead today before the wind starts blowing. I got to go ahead today before the clouds reach the shore and I've got to nail down the words, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I've got to go ahead and tether my heart to that. I gotta tether my heart to Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, even to the end. I've just gotta settle some of those things in my life. And those times that we experience the silence of God. Oh, I've heard the Lord speak and the Lord has done marvelous things and I'm not bragging, I'm testifying today of how the Lord has spoken and how the Lord has given me direct words and, and, it, and it's been so encouraging and exciting when the Spirit of God would speak something into your heart. Amen. But there have been also seasons when God wasn't talking. In those seasons of silence, I've got to hold on to Romans 8 and 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I just have to go ahead and anchor my soul to that. In the silent seasons, I gotta say I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. There is nothing I could do to make him stop loving me. There is nowhere I could go that would make him stop loving me time circumstance situations it will not separate me from the love of God so while I believe that he is always there I also know that we will and we are destined to experience seasons like Job those seasons where we just simply cannot find God so this reality then creates this kaleidoscope of emotions in our spirit if he promised that he would never leave me or forsake me, then where is God in those lonely times? And if he promised that he would never leave me nor forsake me, then where is God in these seasons of silence? I believe that we may, we just may get a glimpse of the answer to this question in Isaiah 63. In Isaiah 63 and 1, the Bible says, Who is this that cometh from Edom, who died with dyed garments in Basra. This 
that is this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, the mighty to save. Amen, I don't want to lose you right here this morning, but I want to read that again, if they'll put it back on the screen. Amen, Isaiah 63 and 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments of Basra? That is this, that, rather, this, that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, that I speak in righteousness, mighty, to save the setting of Isaiah 63. I can appreciate it today. Amen. If you may not exactly understand this, but let me go back and put some context to this. The setting of Isaiah 63 is a battlefield. It is two armies that are locked together. One in one trench over here. Another in another trench over here. It is the Israelites on one side and the Edomites on the other side. And these armies are in an absolute dead standoff. It is a place of certain death if just one person lifts their head above the trenches or one decides, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna charge the opposing adversary. If anybody moves, death is gonna be certain. Amen, it is night. It is a time of darkness and it is a time of uncertainty. It is a season of fear, a season of terror. Amen, the Israelites are in their trenches and they are facing their enemy. In short, there was no rest and to be sure there was no safety. The enemy had tried to keep Israel out of the promised land and they were not successful in that and so now they just dedicated themselves to fighting them day in and day out. Think about this for a moment. They were engaged in an unending war with an undying enemy. That sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Amen. The Bible talks about the adversary of our soul who day and night does stand, amen, doth day and night stand accusing the brethren. That's you and I. I'm gonna tell you this morning whether you wanna hear it or believe it or not, we are engaged in an endless fight with an undying enemy, at least while we are in this season, in this dispensation. We are engaged in an endless fight with an undying enemy. But I'm gonna tell you that we're serving a God that said even in a season of silence, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, but I will go with you all the way. Amen. We have an enemy that never gives up. We have an enemy that never gives in. An enemy that waits just for the next opportunity. If he missed yesterday's opportunity, please don't fold your towel. Amen. Please don't hang your sword on the wall because he'll just wait for the next opportunity. Another opportunity, the Bible says, to kill, to steal, and destroy. Hallelujah. Sometimes we may find ourselves just like the Israelites. We may feel that we're just in a total absolute standoff. We may feel alone and at times it's all right to say amen here. We may even feel vulnerable. Amen. It's all those ingredients that come together to create an atmosphere that gives birth to the questions like Job asked, 
God, where are you? Amen. Where are you? Oh, that I could find him. I would like to have sweet counsel with him. I'd like to please my call, plead my cause. I've searched before, beside, behind. Amen. Sickness for some reason has just seemingly moved in your home and in your life. And now it is commonplace. Or perhaps financial duress has just blanketed your life. And it seems that there is no hope and no way out, no hope, no future. Amen, Isaiah seems to paint a pretty grim picture. A battle that's being fought, trenches here with an army, and trenches here with an army. The Edomites on one side, the Israelites on the other side. Amen, the Israelite soldiers were in there. They could hear the wrestling in the darkness. They thought it was their enemy. They could hear the snare and the snarls and the grins and the perhaps the accusations that are coming from the other, from the other trench. Amen, they hear something, but they don't recognize this voice, amen, they hear a rustling in the darkness but they can't determine what's going on and suddenly they see something looming in the darkness. It doesn't make sense to them. Who could this be? Isaiah in Isaiah 63 describes this soldier. He says he is the one traveling in the greatness of of his strength. Amen. Traveling in the greatness of his strength. There was just something about the cadence of his steps. There was just something about the calm assurance of this, whoever it is, whatever it is that is coming toward us. It was a walk of victory. It was not a walk of defeat. It was steps of confidence, not steps of inferiority. Amen. Then there is this reference to his clothes. The Bible says, they were red. Amen. Wherefore, in verse 2, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? At first glance, it looks like this enemy soldier or this soldier that is approaching them, it looks like he's been treading the wine press. His clothes and his skin are stained red. It looks like he's covered with spilled wine. However, a closer look reveals that this red Redness is not wine at all. It's blood. Amen. It's blood. Isaiah 63 and 3. I have trodden the wine press alone, and the people, there were none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and I will trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and it and I will stain my raiment. Amen. They were confused by this odd thing happening. They were confused by the wrestling in the night and somebody is coming toward them. They were confused, I would submit to you, by the direction from which he came. Amen. He, he didn't come from behind. That You would see that's where an ally would come. Amen. It's a friend's coming to you from behind. A friend is coming to you saying, peace, everything is alright. I've come here to help you. Don't worry about anything coming toward you. Amen. You're just going to assume this is an enemy that's coming toward Amen. This is where our enemy would come from. He's coming from the enemy's camp. He's coming from the trench of Edom. In verse number one, Isaiah said, he comes to them with dyed garments from Basra. Basra was the capital city. It was the seat of power. It was the center of its strength. 
Amen. Then whose clothes are drenched with blood. Amen. They're not coming from behind. I just want to keep that underlined in your mind. He's coming from before them. He approaches them and he said, I am he who seeks righteousness and I am mighty to save. Hallelujah. When they were at a standoff and they thought we don't know which way to go or where to turn, they thought surely if help is coming, it's going to come from behind. Anything coming from before me is going to be an enemy. But there, one, there came one out of that trench said, I am here that is mighty to save. And what you see on my garments, amen, that's the blood of the enemy. I've been over there working, hallelujah. I've been over there taking care of business. This seems sort of to parallel Daniel 10, doesn't it? Amen, it just seems to parallel the story that is shared with us in Daniel 10 when, when the word of the Lord came and said, fear not, Daniel. Amen, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I know, Daniel, I know that for 21 days you prayed and it has been silent. I don't think 21 days are that to try to equal three weeks or I don't think that's to try to define some kind of time period I just want to say this morning that the angel was saying I know it's been a while since you prayed that prayer but hear me from the very moment you prayed that prayer from the very moment your lips were parted and faith was loose amen I was on the way but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in twenty days hallelujah I had to call for some backup I had to call for some help but I'm going to tell you amen when I got a hold when I got a hold of Michael one of the chief princes he came to help me Oh, I feel it in my heart today to tell you that sometimes we wonder where is God? Amen. And where are we going to find God? Where are we going to find him? Oh, I tell you, he's on his way. Amen. He's not afraid of the battle. He's not afraid of the blood. He's not afraid of the death. He's not afraid of the loss. He's not afraid of sickness. He's not afraid of peril. He's not afraid of the economy. He's not afraid of the political world. No, no, no. He is God. Praise God. Amen. It's here that we are in the closing in on the age old question of where is God when I need him? Well, I'll begin by saying this that he's certainly not busy working on somebody else's problems and too busy that he can't get to us. He's not distracted by the world events. (laughs) He's already crossed the enemy line, already gone to the enemy's camp, already trampled them in his fury. He's already destroyed them in the power of his might. In truth, God has already made a way of escape before our problems even started. When we weren't even aware that the wind was going to be blowing, God said, I got this. Paul said to the Corinthians, he will never allow us to be tempted above that we are able. No temptation take you such as. But God was already on the battlefield. And this is where God is when we need him. God knew where Job was. Job was in God's divinely appointed furnace. That's where Job was. This was all foreign soil to him. This was untraveled and uncharted waters 
for him. But he was right where God needed him to be. Job 23.10 But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When he hath tried me. I know it's been said many times and by many different people. But sometimes certain people say something a certain way and it always just kind of lodges in your heart. At least that's the way it is with me. As many times as I've heard the story of Abraham taking Isaac up Mount Moriah to offer him for a sacrifice. I remember many years ago now, Brother Rayleigh teaching, preaching from that very passage of Scripture. And when he got to the point where the Lord said, now I know. I had read that passage many, many times over. Heard it taught on and preached on by many other people. But there was just something about the presentation of it in that service. Brother Rayleigh, I've never forgotten that. Now I know. Amen. I'm going to come out of this furnace, Job said. I'm going to I'm going to come out of here. And when I come out of here, amen, I'm going to come forth as pure gold. It was like the Lord saying, now I know, Abraham, it's so important to see something right here. And that is what Job experienced was by God's appointment. Not because Job had sinned or nothing in his life. Amen, it was God's appointment. God would use Job's affliction to purify him and to make him a better man. I believe that we can find all throughout Scripture that the furnace, that the, that the image of the furnace all throughout Scripture is used to describe the purification of things. Isaiah 48 and 10, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. We see this furnace experience in many other places in Scripture. Psalm 66 and 10. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Amen. The image is used a few times in the book of 1 Peter. One of them being 1 Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Amen. A number of years ago, I personally fought a, a battle, a spiritual battle, and I was in this battle for quite some time, and my wife came to me, and she said, the Lord has laid on my heart something to share with you, and she said, you are in the refiner's fire. You are in the refiner's fire. God is going to do something through this. God's not messing with you. That's what she was trying to say. God's not picking on you. Amen. God hasn't said, singled you out as though he's the bully of the class, and you're the weakling in the bunch. No. She said, I just need to tell you that God has shared this with me. Amen. I want you to understand something. Sometimes we are saying where. Amen. Is God. I can't find him in this. This doesn't make sense. Two and two is not four. I don't know how to make sense of all of this. Hallelujah. But I want to know, I want to know this, that God, he knows my address. He knows exactly where I am. He doesn't just know where I am physically. He knows where I am mentally. He knows where I am emotionally. He knows where I am spiritually God has his eye on me praise God praise God praise God I'll ask our musicians to come when God puts his own people in the furnace one writer said this is one thing we need to know for sure that when God has his children in the furnace he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat <laughs> 
God has his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows. He knows how long and God knows how much. We have, may have many questions, but our questions are really only evidence of unbelief. Job 23 and 10 is the answer, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, God, gold does not fear fire. Because the furnace, the gold understands the furnace can only do one thing, and that's to make me more pure. I've got nothing to fear here because when I come out, I'm going to be more pure than I was when I entered in. The important thing to note about Job's life was pleasing to God before, is the important thing to know really is that Job's life was pleasing to God before he ever went in the furnace. Eliphaz had warned Job to, to receive God's word and obey them, but really in truth he was wrong because Job was already doing that. He was already doing that. God's word was his guide and he, he walked this path of life and, and he was careful that I don't take any detours. I'm just going to keep walking. I'm going to ask you to stand if you will. But even more important, God's word became to Job more important than the daily meal. Job found in God's word the only food that could really satisfy the inner man. It's not going to happen with wheat and barley. It's not going to happen with milk and water. But it's going to be the word of God. You see, the truth of the matter is this. That some people go into the furnace of affliction and it destroys them. And others go in and that experience purifies them. That's why I've got to be still in the hand of God. The only way to extract the oil from an olive is to press it. But here's the thing. If you press it too much and you break the seed, the seed is bitter and it will taint the oil. And so when I feel that pressing hand, God trying to extract something from me, I understand one thing. I need to be still in this season of pressing. Because if I try to react or overreact, I could break something in me that releases bitterness and taints and spoils what God is trying to give birth to. Amen. The furnace experience, painful as it may be, will refine us and make us better. But if we resist God's will and fail to feed on His truth, the furnace experience will only make us bitter. So... Here it is. Where to find God? Where did the Israelites find God when they were standing at a head-to-head face-off with Edomites? Amen. They looked up and they looked ahead. And that's where their help came from. Not from behind, not from the side. But the victor came And he came walking toward them. And his garments were stained red. They thought with wine. But he said, this is not wine. This is the blood of the enemy. I've been over there fighting. Where is God? 
Where is God right now? He's fighting for you. He's fighting for me. That's where God is. Where do I look and find him? The answer is not over there, over there, or out there. Amen. The answer is not over the fence or out in the world. No. Just look ahead. Look up. Because that's where our help's coming from. And when he gets there, he's going to be dripping with the blood of the enemy. Amen. The angel said, I've been on my way, Daniel. I've been coming. I heard you the day you prayed. I saw it the day it all started unfolding. My silence has not been unconcerned. My distance is not because I didn't care. But I've been engaged in spiritual warfare. Amen. Why? Because Jesus said, Satan desires you, Simon. He wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to destroy you. But I have prayed. But I have prayed. So where do we find God? We just find Him by looking up and just keep walking. Amen. Just keep standing. Keep our eyes fixed to what we know God's Word is true. Amen. I love the Lord. Don't you? Amen. I love Him so much. His Word is true. Praise God. His Word is true. His Word is true. Oh, why don't we gather around the front this morning and why don't we just thank Him for the truth of His Word. This is where we can find Him. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.